Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners, welcome to the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Dan Martell. Dan made his first million by the age of 27. He raised venture capital for his two previous startups, Flowtown and Clarity. Uh, he has successfully exited three companies. He's a former advisor to billion-dollar SaaS companies like Intercom, Hootsuite, and Udemy. Uh, he's an investor in over 40 startups. He runs the biggest YouTube channel for SaaS entrepreneurs in the world. He also um, built his own agency to $3.5 million in annual revenue. He started that company when he was 24. He exited when he was 28. Dan, welcome to the program. Dude, Brent, what's up, man? I actually just recorded that whole thing so I could play it anytime I get on stage because that sounded really impressive. I don't know who you were talking about, but thanks for reading. <laughs> reading I, I, only, I only read... I only read half of your your accomplishments sheet because I was like, I just I just can't keep going, man. This guy's so awesome. I appreciate that, man. It's a it's a real honor. Well, we had a chance to meet, um, I guess, three or four years ago now at uh, Yannick Silver's Camp Maverick. Yeah, Um, I guess it was about three years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I remember your talk there and you and I had gotten some time to, to sit down and, and chat about, uh, entrepreneurship and chat about, um, some things in my own business. And I just wanted to give you props, um, at the start of the show and just thank you because, uh, that conversation changed a lot of how my business is structured. And so I know that personally you've had a huge impact on my business and, um, and you've also had a, a, a huge impact on so many other entrepreneurs. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brent. Um, you know, it's funny how sometimes you, you have conversations with people and um, you just do what you do and somehow it has an impact. And, and the crazy part is sometimes you never hear about it. So I really appreciate you kind of circling back and letting me know. So, uh, yeah, for sure. And, um, and, and so what, 
you've been an on, entrepreneur for forever. It seems like, right? Yeah. It seems like you've. This is something that's just part of your DNA. What what pulled you into entrepreneurship um, in the beginning? Do you do you kind of remember what attracted you to to running a business? Yeah, drug dealing. I mean, this this is the reality, <laughs> Brent. I don't know if you know this story, but uh, you know, I I grew up in a really you know troubling and challenging time. You know, I, I grew up feeling broken. I got. Uh, Put on Ritalin when I was 11. Um, I had an anger issue. I used to act out at home, and you know, it, I always struggled with my self worth. And you know, uh, it's weird. I mean, growing up in a neighborhood where all all the other kids weren't allowed to play with you because of you know you were the bad kid, um, really kind of mess with you know my identity. And uh, that led to me, you know, fast forwarding over my teenage years to you know, getting into drugs when parents got divorced at 13 to, um, ending up in jail, you know, twice by the time I was 16 and, and, and really everything just kind of came to a point where I found myself, you know, high and drunk in a stolen car in a high speed chase. And I crashed in the side of a house and I had a handgun in the, uh, the bag sitting next to me. And my, my plan was I didn't want to go back to jail. I'm going to pull the handgun and let the cops do their job and take my life. And, uh, you know, I started pulling on the, the, the gun and it got stuck. And before I knew it, the police opened the door and grabbed me and threw me in the back of their cop car. And I woke up sober the next day and I don't know, man, I just, I just felt like somebody was looking out for me. And, you know, from that point forward, I had some incredible people show up into my life and, you know, shared some beliefs in me that I definitely didn't have in myself. And, you know, I ended up in rehab for 11 months. It was at the end of rehab, actually, in this this place called Portage in the middle of nowhere in the, in the woods. I was helping, um, you know, the groundskeeper, Rick, clean out this old cabin. It used to be a church church uh, camp. And there was this, uh, uh, this old computer, like a Pentium 1 or 486 or something like that, with a book on Java programming sitting next to it. And uh, I opened it up and I started tapping and reading the stuff and it just kind of made sense. Java is an interesting programming language. I thought it was hex and hexadecimal numbers and zeros and ones. And here was this like language. It kind of made sense to my mind. And uh, I got it to say, hello world. And that was, I was like, Oh shit. You know, like I thought these computer nerds were like special and I got it to do the thing, you know, I'm just following this book. And um, you know, the truth is that set me down on this crazy path of, you know, programming and technology being my new addiction and, you know, entrepreneurship being the ultimate per, uh, personal development program. And uh, I just feel super blessed that I'm alive, man. So, you know, entrepreneurship's always been in my bones because for a long time it was just trying to survive. Uh, but it turns out a lot of the skills I learned uh, on the streets uh, translate incredibly well into the boardroom. Um, and uh, it took me a while to finally figure it out. You know, I'm just like I started when I was young, but you know, when I was 24, I I, I read my first business book. Before that, I just read technical books, architecture, database, front-end programming. And then finally, you know, after two failed startups, I said, well, maybe I should read. And I didn't even read it. It was it was an audio CD. That's how bad I was at like, because my ADHD, I couldn't read too well. I listened to this book called Love is a Killer App by a guy named Tim Sanders. And uh, that book transformed everything from a business point of view for me. You mentioned... Um you know, some of your skills from the streets transferred over. And I, I think entrepreneurship is probably one of those few careers that you can 
probably transitioned from being uh, high and drunk and in a high-speed chase and having a run-in with the police and still be incredibly successful. Like that, Risk-taking, man. In, Think about it. Like, that's what in, people in this, don't... Yeah, like I, I go and I speak to, to kids all the time. You know, I was just at a high school last week and I go to the rehab center that saved my life, you know, four times a year and talk to the new cohorts. And I always tell them, like, you know, when I go to the high school, I, I say, I, I want to speak to the, the kids that are in the special class. Like, I don't want your valedictorians they're good. They're fine. I want to, I want to, because to me, you know, what I've learned and this, there's a bunch of stuff, but one, they're the most suited for entrepreneurship. Why? Because, um, you know, anybody that's learned at a young age to live in a world that's chaotic, deal with chaos, be self-sustaining, self-sufficient, learn that nobody's going to look out for you, that you've got to figure it out for yourself. Um, and that individualism, and I think that's why a lot of entrepreneurs don't do well in school, is because they don't conform to the norm. No company has ever been created by doing what everybody else does. So as a person that kind of leans more into an individualistic nature, I think entrepreneurs the only option, and, and this is what's crazy, is um, I, I just feel like, you know, as much as I, I love you know, businesses, I would be the worst employee in the world. And I just, I just had too many opinions and too many ideas and in the skills of risk-taking negotiation, um, you know, persuasion, um, you know, collaborating. I mean, I used to, I'm first thing when I was a kid, I used to convince my neighborhood kids to help me, you know, build a, a snow fort, right. I grew up in Canada. So it was like, you know, trying to get them all on board to build a snow fort. And then once it was done, charge them 25 cents to play in it. You know, like that was, you know, <laughs> that was just, was it, who, is that, yeah. Is that a little real, bit of real uh, estate? Uh, My first business was real estate. <laughs> but you actually helped the, had them build the, the snow yes. fort for you. What was that? Uh, uh, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, he, he uh, has the kids it, pay him to paint his fence. Well, the idea was I'll let them play with it for a day. Let's build this together because it'll be cool and we'll play with it tomorrow. But the day after you got to pay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you gave them a free trial of yeah. the of the snow fort. Yeah, just a little little <laughs> taste. Um, and look, man, that's that's the fun part. I just love working with these kids that just they're hungry, they're ambitious. Truth is, is many of them have a criminal record. They're not getting a normal job. You know, they've they've tattooed their face. They look different. And I love those kind of people because they're 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 not going to be worried about what their parents think. I mean that's a funny part people are like well what my parents think man my dad's just happy I was doing anything productive that wasn't illegal he used to tell me for my whole upbringing I just hope you could find something you're passionate about that isn't illegal I think you do really well in life and I think you know that was an understatement because once I got that I was hooked Dan, can you tell us a little bit about what your business is today, what your core core business is? Yeah, so I've got three parts to my life. Um, one, I invest in other technology companies. For a decade, I did that through angel investing, meaning that I would write first check in companies like Intercom and Hootsuite and Udemy and Unbounce and all these incredible founders. Um, and over time, you know, six, seven years, maybe faster, there'd be a return. You know, and I've just been super lucky that some of those returns you know, were thousand percent returns on my capital. Uh, and, but I did that while I built all my companies. So it was just kind of a way for me to deal with my ADHD. I'd meet great founders. They were solving problems. I, I feel like I've, I've got value to bring more than just the money. 
Um, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And, and it's become a portfolio that I manage. Today, it looks more like micro private equity. So right now, I'm a partner in a, a small private equity uh, firm out of Austin with a guy named Nathan Latka, um, testing that model out. So I'm still investing. So that's a third of my time. Uh, half the other third of my time is is a program called the Creators. It's it's working with at risk youth, helping them build their confidence through building businesses. Um, and I that's very unscalable. Dan Martell, face to face in a room, face you know need and need like just talking and, and supporting their 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 vision and, and sharing my story. Um, and then the third is uh, I coach high performing SaaS founders, software as a service. So I have the extreme privilege to work with incredible entrepreneurs, most of them bootstrapped. So 70% of my clients that I coach are bootstrapped founders from non-coastal cities. That's what I call it. And, um, and they're just looking to learn from somebody that's been there, get the best practices, support them, up-level their mindset, um, and be in a community of folks that are on that same journey. So, you know, I'm, it's crazy today because like some of my clients are people I learned from. So like Ryan Dice from Digital Marketer, he's got a product called Praxio. I coach him. Ryan Levesque, I call him the Ryan squared. Ryan Levesque from Ask Methods, got Bucket.io, I, I coach him. Kyle from Proposify.com, an incredible entrepreneur um, that maybe some of your clients use their products. So I get to coach Kyle. Um, you know, Trevor at OnCarrot.com. I think he just closed the deal for Carrot.com. You know, just like these amazing founders that are not only looking to build incredible businesses, but just that want to just be more, um, impactful. And, uh, so that's, that's kind of how my, my day and my week kind of lays out. And what's cool is they all support each other, right? My YouTube channel supports the kids because sometimes they, they reference videos of things I share there. The, the investing and the coaching supports because they're essentially the same delivery, just different kind of, um, commitment levels. And uh, all the playbooks that I create for my coaching clients, I definitely leverage for my, my private equity stuff. And um, dude, I feel like I get the best, best, <laughs> the best week in the world. I get to share cool ideas and hang out with people who want to 10x their, their lives. I mean, that to me is, that was always the dream. That's why I built Clarity before that. That was kind of the, the precursor. And, uh, you know, I'm present for my two little boys, which was a big part of, you know, why I think we, we, we try to just do everything we can to succeed is to create a better life than, than we might've had. And for me, as I didn't want to repeat the pattern that I was exposed to, which, you know, is an alcoholic mother and a, and a father and dad who's in sales and was always on the road. Now, now my mom's an incredible woman, still part of my life. And my dad is my hero and, and changed his life to support me when I got sober after rehab. So, um, you know, and when we look at it today, it's kind of crazy what we all went through as a family um, considering my brother just won, you know, entrepreneur of the year. He's one of the top fastest growing home builders in Atlantic Canada. My other brother's an entrepreneur. I clearly have done a few things, uh, in, in tech. Um, and I don't know, I think if anything, it's just a, a great story that, uh, you know, where you've been does not a dictator of where you could end up, you know, getting invited, like just, just so you know, Richard Branson's probably on that bookshelf over there, right? Two or three of his books. I read that 15 years ago if somebody was said one day you'll get invited to spend a week with him in Switzerland at his house, I would have been like, you're full of shit. Why, what could I possibly accomplish in my life that would make that even an interest to him? You know, it's not that I didn't have any confidence. Like I, I definitely have a bit of a like ego, but I was just like, there's nothing I could do that would be interesting to him. 
And turns out that a guy knew knew Richard and, and he was wanting to connect with entrepreneurs, supporting other entrepreneurs in the world as part of his mission, his community and clarity was in his crosshairs. How crazy is that, man? Like I grew up in a town of a hundred thousand people in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Canada. Like I thought it was an April fool's joke. When I got that email, I'm not joking, <laughs> Brent. I, I thought, okay, this is uh, you know, April is a few, a few weeks out. Maybe it's just an early joke. And uh, it wasn't until he rolled in, <laughs> in his, in his living room the morning after we, we got there that I was like, Oh shit, this is really, and I mean, Tim Ferriss is there. Uh, um, Oh, there's so many incredible entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, what's his name? He sold, um, um, uh, payment processor to PayPal for 800 million. Um, Brian, Brian, uh, the founder of, uh, Oh, I forget what it's called. Anyways, just like, and then there's me. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I still, um, yeah, I still have to pinch myself. You know, it's 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 cool, but I and I don't take yeah, it every day. I wake you've, up. You've got a uh, uh, an, an incredible story, and it sounds like you've been able to. Um, I mean, I guess in a way, I mean, be around entrepreneurs at, at the pinnacle, right? I mean, Branson and some of those other guys, Ferris and Dude, Travis Kalanick I mean, was an of, investor in my company, Flowtown, CEO of Uber. I mean, what the fuck? like what? <laughs> How does this happen? You know? Um, yeah. And that's what I try to share. I just, that's what I share on Instagram. I share on YouTube. And you know, when I speak, it's just, I want, I, I want to just be honest and real about the struggles and, and, and hopefully inspire people to just kind of think a little bit bigger. One of my, one of my good friends today, Marcel, he started off as a coaching client. He said it best once he was on stage, he goes, hanging out with Dan, is, is like being brought to the edge of the cliff, set on fire, pointing at an island out in the ocean and being kicked off the cliff. Because that's just what I want to <laughs> do for people. I want to be like, yo, this is possible and take action. I set them on fire, but then I make sure it doesn't hurt too much by kicking them off the cliff because it's a forcing function. You know what I mean? Yeah. What What are some things? I mean, so so a couple of your 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 a third of your life right now is investing in other companies. I assume primarily software companies. Um, you're also 100%. spending a third of your life. What's that? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Software said, companies. Between you and I, Brent, I do invest in local businesses that make no sense because I get bored. Okay? <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but locally, I'm an investor in a lot of the companies that I use on a day to day basis, just because I love business and growth. But I don't tell anybody about those. All right, so we 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 won't tell anybody about no, that, except for does. the thousands of people that listen to the show. Yeah. Um, and you spent a third of your time uh, uh, coaching these high high performing SaaS uh, founders. So so what are some? I mean, you, so you you have a unique perspective because you both invest in these companies, but you also coach them. So you're seeing what's working, what's not working, and um, and I think that's a unique thing to be able to see a market, to see trends, to see stuff from from a lot of different directions. Whereas most software founders are like in the weeds in the, in the dirt, like working in their business, they, they don't get to have that perspective, which is why they come to you. So, so what are some, if you have any kind of common traits or things that are, um, are good signs for you in terms of ideas or people to invest in at, at the very beginning of their business, what are you seeing as, as good signs for success, um, at the early stages of a software uh, idea or company? Because, and, and the reason I ask that is because there's a lot of agency owners out there 
that have an idea or have a team or have the ability to build their own software. And so I wonder if you could maybe give them some insight into some of the things that you'd look for. Um, well, for and Brendan, maybe that's the question. So I definitely, so I've had a lot of friends that I've supported. Many of my clients today are from an agency background. Some of them still have their agencies. You know, uh, Kyle from Proposify mentioned had an agency prior, you know, some great examples we all know, like FreshBooks with Mike McDermott and the guys at 37 Signals and Basecamp, um, you know, Shopify. So Toby and Harley are good friends of mine. They, you know, they had an agency helping uh, bring merchants, you know, e-commerce sites online. Um, the way the way I think about it is there's, you know, I, I call it the migration method. Okay, because I think one of the biggest challenges, one of one of my clients, Daryl Hicks from from Flex FlexPay.io, um, he went through this: is that if you if you don't do it right, you can pillage your PL. So, right, you can you can essentially suck the cash out of your primary business and invest it in a software and you become the rich uncle and it never ends. So there's three things. I'll tell you about finding the right idea, but the three things that you need to make sure you get right is one, you got to have the, the funding right, the profit. So you got to allocate a certain amount of profit to the software idea. Two, you need the people part. Typically, you don't want it to be the same resources working on your current agency because you want them focused on the software. And then three, you need the product scope right, the product. You need to make sure that you, you scope out an MVP and pre-sell it and do clickable prototypes, all these things I teach um, to make sure that you, you don't, um, you know, spend the next two years building. I mean, I get the call when the guy's 2 million in um, three years later and sometimes haven't shipped product because they might've unfortunately hired a third party or a sec, you know, an external development contractor to build it. And those people could care crap if you ever ship anything, they just want to keep getting paid to build stuff and tell you all the gaps. Like you really should add this module and you know, to make this easier, we should probably add this and we got to refactor the system if you want to do this. And anyways, I could, I could speak to all the horror stories I've heard, but um, that those are the three P's of the migration method for an agency to, you know, uh, a SaaS product, but the right SaaS tools to focus on are typically a workflow in your business that you do that you feel is unique. Right. And it's, it's even true for information uh, companies. Right. So the way I think about it is on the top level, you've got, you know, do it yourself, done with you and done for you. Right. Those are like the three modalities that, you know, agencies or information marketers use to deliver uh, content. But what they've done in doing that is they've built kind of a workflow or best practice. And that could be productized. And that's what I call underneath those three is the tool. Right. So a great example is, you know, Ryan Levesque at, at bucket.io. So he's got the ask method and he's got like the digital course, which is do it yourself. He's got his group program, which is done with you. And he's got the, um, you know, certified partners that will do it for you. They're done for you. But all of them use the same underlying, you know, surveying and, um, you know, quiz tool that they built called bucket. So, um, the, you know, I think that for agencies trying to build something, outside of their domain expertise is tough. So it's either you're building something for people like you, or you, you work with a specific customer segment and they all have the same problem and, you, and you've built this repeatable stack that they've used that you use to serve them. So I see this often. Um, actually, one of my calls yesterday, a guy named, um, I'll just call him John. So John has an, you know, 10 million a year uh, field tech business. I'll, I'll try to keep it vague because obviously those calls are private, but um, he's built this technology to improve his efficiency, but he's realized that there are about, you know, 3000 other companies just like him that could benefit from this, 
integrated end-to-end solution they've built. So they want to extract it and build the soft, the build a standalone software and, you know, fund it and, and staff up and all that stuff. So I don't know, man, long-winded answer to say the best ideas are problems that you've had or your, um, of your segment of customers you serve have that you can, that, that you can go to market because you have them or you know the space because you are that customer to be able to go and find other people like you to pre-sell and validate. But at the end of the day, I also believe you shouldn't write code for anything without pre-selling it to get commitments and true customer validation in the market. And I want to come back to a couple of those the things that you mentioned. Um, but fundamentally, you mentioned kind of this migration method, which means you should be moving from something to something. I mean, is if an agency owner is thinking about taking their software or, or creating a tool or creating a software product, I mean, should they ultimately be planning on making this migration if this is something that they're going to end up uh, working in? Or do you ever see agencies that successfully run a SaaS business and an agency simultaneously forever? Not at scale. Nope. If you want to crack a million in ARR, 83K per month in MRR, monthly reoccurring revenue, right? In your software business, you need to be focused on it. Now, I'm not saying you don't have the agency or you don't sell it or whatever, but what I'm saying is, is the migration is migrating the internal know-how and turning it into a product. And, you know, so I have this concept called the jockey principle that I teach my, my hiring clients because the truth is entrepreneurs like to create. That's just a fact and you can't stop it. So, for example, a lot of my clients that I coach that are 10 million plus, I I teach them this principle of like, hey, I love that you have these ideas for these other businesses, but we need to find the jockey. You need to find the person that's going to lead it and then you support them. So, it's the same concept I just shared for the migration method, except you, 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 you find the person, you allocate maybe some capital, some resources, and you let them run it. If you can't find the jockey, the entrepreneur, and this is not an internal general manager or, or project manager, this is literally somebody that's going to drive the business forward and actually be successful, then don't do it. Don't start this other thing. Like it really comes down to a driver. You know, I was uh, at uh, Twilio's offices a month ago with Jeff Lawson, the CEO. He's an old friend. I met him, you know, when he left Amazon and Twilio was literally him and two other developers, his co-founders. And uh, we went to visit now at $8.4 billion market cap. You know, they, they, they've got like 1,500 employees. It's just an incredible story in the last decade. And one of the things he even, you know, reminded all of my clients, because we, we went there as a group, um, was that, you know, they realized that they had certain areas of business, they, they didn't have a driver, right? Somebody needs to wake up every day to make sure that that thing's moving forward and getting and making progress. And if you don't, then as a leader, you've got to fix that. So I think that, you know, um, the jockey principle works really well if you, if you want to keep the agency and do the software business. You had um, started an agency. I don't know if it was your first business, but you had started one when you were 24. You exited that was my agency, yes. Prior to that, I did um, Maritime Vacation was a web web app for, it was essentially VRBO and Airbnb before those products. Um, so that just okay. tells me how shitty of an entrepreneur I started off as. Um, and then I did uh, NB Host, which was a hosting company because anybody that's built websites for people thinks that they should get paid for the hosting. Horrible <laughs> idea. Spent way too much time in server rooms and hardware. And con- I mean, this is back in the day where you actually had to yeah. draw everything. Um, and, and then, yeah, so, so Spheric was my first agency selling enterprise portal uh, integrations for Fortune 500 companies. 
um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my trajectory to that point. And, and obviously I, I assume over the last, uh, bit of time as an entrepreneur, you've probably worked with a handful of agencies. What, what have you seen from your perspective that has changed in terms of, um, what, what needs to happen to make an agency successful? Yeah. So, so I've, I've, man, I would say 90% of my friends in my hometown here are service providers or agencies. Um, you know, they're not tech, high tech, especially fast growth. Uh, and you know, uh, my wife had an agency on boardly PR. Um, so, so what I, what I remember just like sitting down one day and just like people kept asking me for advice about like how to scale, how to do their marketing, how to, you know, how to do pricing right and all this stuff. And I just, I kind of just mapped out a drawing. I remember I was like sitting with a friend of dinner and I just, I can't talk without drawing. I'm literally, I've got, I don't know why, but like, this is my iPad pen. Like I just got to draw and talk and whatever. So I was doodling things. And I kind of like started to come together with this thing called, I called the agency model. That's, it's pretty, I mean, what else are you going to call it? It's just agency business model. And the idea was you need to build the reoccurring services. So there's three components to the agency model. The first one is I think you need a lower cost or you need a, you need a, a road mapping process that you get paid for, right? So this means that, you know, too many people spend too much time doing the upfront analysis and doing proposals for companies that we're never going to buy, right? So what I'd rather do is say, hey, this is the way we work with clients. The first thing we do is this road mapping process and you got to give it a name, right? So like um, the, my, one of my friends, Rich, I helped them with their design agency. They call it the dig. So the dig process and you get, essentially what you want to do is you want to get paid to deliver the scope of work but the output is literally how the client could implement everything yourself, right? Themselves. So, so they get paid for the, and I learned this in software, right? So like you could build software, but what if you got paid to do all the wireframes and then that part is separate from the code, but at least now you don't have to like make that part of the coding, but it's an important piece because you need to know what you're going to scope in regards to cost. So, so the road mapping service is the first part. Then you want the ongoing service. This is the monthly reoccurring. So as a PR agency, it's pretty straightforward. As a design agency, maybe it's maintaining their website. But you want to build reoccurring revenue into your agency and uh, look at it that way. Then there's add-on services. So within the horizontal reoccurring focus, we do this one thing really well. I'll give you an example. My, uh, my bookkeeper, well, not my bookkeeper. That, uh, he's going to punch me if he ever sees me. Um, guy named Greg Crabtree. Okay. Greg is the author of simple numbers, an incredible dude. He, uh, I actually flew him to Moncton to, to, to not only work with me, but do a presentation for my friends locally. Um, and he, I had he him was, he was on our show. Uh, yeah, a Greg's, ago. Greg's a good and dude. A, just an amazing. Yeah. <laughs> ne- so next anyways, time I talk to him, I'll be like, "Hey, Dan Martell." Uh, That's all you, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, anyways, Greg does financial modeling for me. How about that? And uh, but what I loved about Greg is that he followed the same process. He had this upfront thing that costs money to build the model. Then he's got a monthly fee that he charges to maintain the model. And then he has these add-on services like tax services and year ends and all that stuff that are logical, but then he doesn't even have to do in-house. He can work with external uh, vendors, right? So, you know, that's, that's, and here's the beauty of this brand. This is the third part of it is 
when you've got the road mapping service, the ongoing, uh, the road mapping thing, you're getting paid for up front, two grand, five grand, 10 grand, 30 grand, it doesn't matter what it is. Then you've got the ongoing monthly, right? To build the business, 500 bucks, 1500 bucks, 5,000, 10,000, whatever. Then you've got the extra things that you identify, which is fun because you can give your team, you know, 5% of the sale for identifying and, and offering it to the customer. Um, that helps amplify your, what's called expansion revenue. Then the road, this is the, from a content point of view, and this is where I think most people get it wrong. What you do is you take the road mapping service, all the things, the best practices you do in there, because there's probably several, if not dozens of things that you know how to do, how to ask the questions, how to present it, how to, how to solve these, these conflicts. And that's the content. So you splinter out each one of those best practices and you produce content around it and you give it away for free. And people are like, that's crazy. Why would you give it away for free? Because A, people that find it are going to self-select into having the problem that you help them solve. And if they want to move forward, they're already pre-sold into the way you do things. So to me, when I thought, okay, what's the simplest model for not only the economic model in regards to revenue and, and profitability and, and brain, like, oh my gosh, agency owners usually want to give up because they do too many things for too many people and there's no structure. They can't scale and it's just they're, they're putting out fires every day. So this dealt with that. And then on the marketing side, it's very simple. You take the things that you charge people for, you splinter them out and you do individual pieces of content for each one. And, you know, you promote that and people find it. And if they resonate with it, then they're a perfect customer for you. So you don't end up on calls with people trying to convince them on why what you do is the right way of doing it. So high level, Brent, that's the agency model. And I know you have some uh, content that kind of goes, if, if, if our listeners are like, oh man, I want to go deeper on this, we'll make sure to link out to that resource that you have yeah, on your website. Yeah, literally if you have a video that... I say, if you add Dan Martell and search on YouTube, you'll find me talking about it on videos. Like I pretty much, I've done a video for three years every Monday, I haven't missed a week and I'm run, you know, I only have so many ideas. So, so <laughs> I'm confident you're going to keep, keep coming up with oh, ideas, I, but, done, um, but it's just like <laughs> you hear it today. There's a good chance I've talked about it in the past. Yeah. Uh, and I want to, I want to call attention to something that you just kind of mentioned matter effectively, um, ha having your team get 5% of the sale for driving add on services. I mean, that's just like a small little detail, but huge that, I mean, I think most agencies out there, if you have five or 10 people on your team or even three people on your team and you're the one that's 100% responsible for sales and you just create that little tiny incentive, all of a sudden your entire team of web designers, developers, um, marketers, copywriters are kind of now um, incentivized or they're it's, a part it, of the revenue generation To me, this is not machine. on selling. This is, ex this is expansion revenue. So in the software world, we call it customer success, right? A CSM on average gets 2% of the expansion revenue of the their success, right? So they're not getting comp like a sales guy because they're already a customer, but they're identifying opportunities to sell add-ons to add more value to the customer. So if you don't incentivize, most employees are just going to do the work. Your copywriter is going to do the copywriting work. Your designer is going to do designer work. But if you say, look, you know, maybe there's a $5,000, um, you know, add on, um, let's call it, uh, you could even partner with a business person and say, hey, we want to offer some business um, growth operational stuff. And uh, we partner with an external contractor that we trust and we like. And, you know, our margins on that's 30%. So we got a 30% gross margin. So give up five to somebody to sell more. And it's just super authentic and fun. And I, and I just think that people, 
it's so funny how a lot of entrepreneurs, they just don't understand how to create incentive structures that drive the performance and results they want. And once you have it, you'll, you'll be inundated, right? Like you'll actually have to build the business. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure our audience heard that. I want, I, I know a lot of people are sitting there on a, on a jog, on a drive, and they're going to go, when I get back to the office, I'm going to incentivize all my people. With I had to do that. So. Spheric, the way that our model for Spheric worked <laughs> is everybody worked for me, but they traveled and they worked on site with clients. I needed to figure out how to wait for them while they're there and they're in meetings, right? They're invited to the integration meetings. They're invited to meet with vendors. I needed them to be motivated to circle back and bring me opportunities that I wouldn't even been aware of, but they would because they're on site in front of the customer. So I like, yeah. you know, my one a guy, Rick, he'd call me and be like, hey man, I just heard the manager talking about this version two of the thing we're doing. And I think this part is something that we could get the business for. Hey Rick, thanks man. Then I'd call the customer be like, hey, I just wanted to check in, see how things are going, you know, see, see what's going on kind of for Q4, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and then, you know, that's all Rick had to do was just give me a heads up and that's how we incentivized. Yeah, it's awesome. Dan, this has been uh, super educational. I think it's been so great to to hear your uh, origin story, get caught up on what you've been doing in the software space. Um, I want to maybe just take a quick moment before I go into my lightning round. You had mentioned a uh, program you're doing, the Creators for At Risk Youth, and so can you just give us a quick rundown of of that? I mean, is that something that you are just doing locally or looking to expand? I just want to find a way to support you in that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So if anybody's interested in supporting me, the hardest challenge I have is, you know, I travel a lot. And when I'm in those communities, I want to meet with, so foster kids, at-risk youth, you know, uh, juvenile delinquents, you know, criminals, et cetera. Uh, Typically between the ages of like 12 to 19 is kind of my my favorite spot. and I just have a hard time getting access to them in a non-weird way. Because obviously, Brent, when I'm, you know, I'm in San Diego in the winters and I cold email the owner of a rehab center, they're just like, who the fuck are you and why do you want to, you know, why do you want to come in and talk to the kids? So if anybody has access, you know, I've spoken at, you know, Newport Academy, Jameson Monroe is a good friend. He's brought me in there. But like the hardest part for me is the last mile. And it's not a scalable thing. It's super personal and organic. And really, I just need folks to have access that can make the introduction. Right. And just be like, Hey, Dan's a good dude. He'd love to. And, and even if it's like six kids or 12 kids, I do like to do it in a group format. Um, and then I can bring it online. And that's pretty much why I, I do on Instagram DMS is I, I mentor these kids in my DMS and it's, it's super fun. Very cool. Well, do you have any uh, material online about that or we'll just no, have man, people man. reach just, out on you social can just email me. My contact info is on my website. Um, yep. you know, pretty easy to figure out my email, you know, We'll we'll definitely make sure to link out to all that on our show notes. Um, so if you I want to get in touch with Dan, at some point I will. But again, it's, <laughs> it's a non-scalable thing, and it's just sure. my way of you know contributing. Uh, absolutely, and so I just wanted to make sure we 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 spend a, a little bit of time on that. Um, all right, Dan, are you ready for our lightning round? Let's kick it. All right, what is the best advice you've ever received? If somebody bought your business tomorrow, what's the first thing they would change? Oh, that's good. I'm going to, I'm going to leave here and, and, uh, and go think about that one. Uh, which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Block time. I, I put everything in my calendar, personal, professional, the details in the description, and I honor my calendar and I don't just, you know, ignore it. 
Can you share an internet resource or tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Voxer, and here's why, is um, I think that your output verbally is probably 10 times more efficient and fast than in the written word. So I use Voxer with my team. It's a walkie-talkie app. And then the key is they can only reply to you in text so you can read and scan faster. Um, So I'm a big fan of Voxer and I use it pretty much all day long. Interesting. Uh, What book would you recommend and why? Man, I've read over a thousand business books. So if you had to make me pick one, um, I'm going to go, it's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. If you can figure out how to be grateful, regardless of where you've come from, I think you've won. We will link out to those tools and uh, that book in our show notes. Check that out, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Click on the Dan Martell episode. Dan, how can our audience find out more about you? And is there anything that you have they can check out? Yeah, uh, I think one of the challenges for a lot of agencies and owners, business owners, is, is building out systems and operation procedurals. So I actually uh, am sharing my playbook. I call it a business playbook. So if you want to go to danmartell2lsandmartell.com forward slash playbook, you can get a copy of my templates and structures to help you get going. It's a super simple format using Google Docs um, that I think you'd, you'd be excited to uh, receive. And the book that I think would complement that would be Work the System by Sam Carpenter. Um, I think that's a way better book than E-Myth. And then second to that would probably be Checklist Manifesto. There you have it. You got a great free resource that Dan's hooking you up with, as well as two more great book recommendations. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. My pleasure, Brian. So good to see you, man, and appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you. That is our episode for this week's uh, Digital Agency Show. Tune in each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 